netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com. Thanks for taking the time to download this FX Podcast. I'm John Montgomery. Our subject this week is the VFX unionization drive in the UK. Our guests are Joe Pavlo and Paul Evans. Now, Joe's been in the visual effects industry for 20 years. He's a visual effects supervisor, and he's based in London. He's also the founder of the VFXforum.org website, which is a site that aims to, you know, talk about uh, the drive to create a VFX union in London and the reasons for doing so. They actually have a very cool thing where they have a weekly meetup, I think it is on Thursdays, where people can come and just simply in, in an informal place ask questions about it, find out what it's all about. It's, it's kind of really helped spread the word. And Paul Evans uh, is the Bechtu National Officer. Uh, Bechtu, it's, it's basically, I guess, in a union that represents workers in the entertainment industry, and you can think of Paul Evans, for those of you who are in the States, as kind of the equivalent person to Steve Kaplan uh, here with the Animation Guild in the United States. So we'll have a discussion with them. Jeff Hughes is going to be chatting with them a bit. But before we get to that, I just want to say this, we're in our final couple weeks here of our FX Insider Drive, and we really thank those of you who've actually taken the time to support us, whether it's through a yearly membership, buying a pair of those cool pint glasses, or folks like Isotropic and uh, Black Magic, who've actually jumped in at the corporate level to support us. It's actually really critical to what we do at Effects Guide. It costs quite a bit of money to do this, have the people to edit podcasts like these, clean up the audio, film FX Guide TV, travel to conferences like Seagraph and FMX. And the reality is that the ad dollars just simply can't do that alone. And it's really, really wonderful, uh, the kind of support that we've gotten from all of you readers. Uh, and so if you haven't taken the time to join or, or your subscription has lapsed, uh, we hope you take the time to do so. Uh, just click the Join FX Insider link on the homepage. I also really want to quickly mention that we just released our first new course in our new streaming model over at fxphd.com. It's the Art and Science of Green Screen Keying, actually part one of two, really incredible in-depth course taking a look at keying within Nuke, but lots of information there as well for those of you using other applications. So check that out. You sign up, you get that course as well as all the other 100, over 100 courses we have on offer at FXPHD. All right, enough for the intro. Let's go ahead and cross the conversation now. This is Jeff Huser speaking with Joe Pavlo and Paul Evans. All right, well, thanks. I wanted to start with Joe, first of all, because um, Jungle Book's obviously doing really well in the box office. I know you worked on it. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, everybody's really excited who worked on it over here in London. And what did you do on the movie? I was the stereo super, one of the stereo supervisors on it. Oh, wow. And, um, and worked on it for about a year and a half in London. Well, Paul, I wanted to start with you. Um, we've obviously covered a lot of labor issues here at FX Guide, and it's actually one of my big passions because... I just think there's nothing more important. And uh, so I'm very, you know, when I talked to you guys previously for an article a while back when you guys first sought recognition for the union, um, I, w I wanted to just kind of start with the basics and kind of talk about Beck 2 and what it's about and, and, and kind of start from the beginning with you, Paul. Hi, Jeff. I, I suppose I ought to introduce myself first. I'm a, I'm a national official for a trade union uh, called Beck 2, which is the film for people who work in film, TV, uh, the theatre is broadly the entertainment union. It's and it's for everybody who uh, isn't who's working behind the camera, as it were, or behind the stage. So, uh, in in this country, we have an actors union called Equity. We have a, a journalist union called the National Union of Journalists. We have a musicians union, um, and we have a writers guild. 
and then the the, the 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 other part of the federation of entertainment unions is beck two which is the film for the the is for people who like i say behind the camera and that would include people working in vfx in post-production uh in uh production sound or art department or construction or all special effects which we're, we're very strong on in in london as, as you probably know in terms of our role as a union we tend to find ourselves dealing we're very unusual in that most of our members are for or more than half of our members are freelance which is unusual for a trade union uh and, and i suspect in 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 the united states that if you were if you're freelance you wouldn't be in a union at all but vfx is generally our members are working in vfx are employees so our focus is very much on keeping wage rates up establishing rate cards doing enforcement campaigns and in particular, dealing with the exploitative culture that exists around the entertainment industry generally. And, you know, you, you see this with everybody. You see it with, with uh, you know, musicians being, you know, getting playing gigs for exposure and not being paid for them and being expected to give their work away so that they can sell T-shirts and so on. Uh, yeah, and that works right across the industry. And we see it in VFX as well, where people are, you know, being told, you know, they, they, they've been got to work um, unpaid overtime. And the big lure is, you know, you, you get to work on great films, which is true. There's, there's no question about that. But when you have, um, when, you know, when employers are using that as a lure to exploit people and to get them to work for free or to get them to accept poor management practices, and that often is the case, it's often the case that people have been asked to work for free when they don't need to be asked to work for free. Uh, and they're, they're told to expect, you know, they have to expect poor management practices when they, where they don't really need to. And where if there wasn't that, you know, hey, you know, uh, this, this, this lure, people asking them to work on this project because it's really cool. There's kind of a link between that and, and a culture that we, we, we describe as a bullying culture. Uh, you know, a bully, bullying employment practices where, where where managers, you know, can behave quite in, in either a cavalier or sometimes even a fairly brutal fashion towards towards their, their employees. You know, there's a lots of good managers and lots of good company and there's lots of good practices in London, but there are also bad ones. And as a union, we have to focus on the bad ones. Our job is to make working in VFX and working in the film industry a race to the top not a race to the bottom. It's been interesting as you guys have started this that, um, you know, I hear from a lot of artists and I talk to a lot of artists and the, you know, back when we were doing the Oscar protests and uh, things like that here in the United States, um, you know, there was a lot of activity, a lot of conversations about these issues. And then it kind of tapered off. And now people are really looking at what you guys are doing and saying, hey, maybe there's hope for this because if London could do this, it could it could lift as they say lift all boats you know it's the old once i've always said once somebody starts this it's gonna push across the globe because people are gonna say yeah this should be the way it is and this is the what you know these are abuses that are happening and we need to address them that's absolutely right and and one of the things that i've always said is that if if a global visual effects trade union is going to take off it's got to take off in london because if you if you look at London, we we have this incredible concentration of uh, of Academy Award winning visual effects blockbuster giants. We have Framestore, we have MBC, and we have uh, uh, Dine. Dine. 
yeah. all in, in, in London. We have then quite a few large companies that are of, of the sort of like medium size down. And we have dozens of sort of boutique size that can be anything from 20 up to 80 people working at and stuff like that. And so, but with those, just, just looking at the three really big companies here, you're actually looking at like half of the world's blockbuster capacity. So, you know, if you think about it, Hollywood needs to make blockbusters. Mm -hmm. They can't make blockbusters without London. I don't care if they if they want to threaten to take it off to Canada or right. to uh, or to India or wherever. It they can't do it there. They they need London to do it. You know, Weta does a great job. Uh, there's stuff going on in Northern and Southern California. There's stuff in in Canada, but you've literally got half of the world's blockbuster capacity right here, all within like a, about a five minute walk of each other. Yeah. And, and so if uh, that was, that was the motivation that I had for, for really going for this big uh, recruitment membership uh, push for the last year or so. And Joe, can and, you talk a little bit about that? Cause I wanted to, to people to, hear, to just hear if they haven't read the other stuff or, or seen how you were doing the lunches and things like that and kind of grew this. I, I'm, I'm curious for people to understand that. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been, uh, on, I've, I've been in visual effects for over 20 years, but I joined the union around, around the life of Pi, uh, sort of hoo-ha when that all took off. So that, that sh tells you something right there that I know a little bit about complacency or, or fear or, or just sort of like, you know, uh, letting things slide a bit. I mean, you know, I, I did that for, for 16, 17 years without thinking about it, uh, too hard. And, uh, then I, you know, I jumped onto the life of Pi, got my membership, joined the union and thought, right, this is all going to take off. Sat around for about a year waiting for something to happen. It just kind of fizzled out. Nothing happened. Well, then I met Paul, um, uh, at a, uh, uh, a sort of like, they just, sent out an email inviting people along to a back to thing. And he said, well, we need a committee. You, you got a branch, you need a committee. Who's going to volunteer? And, and it was like, it was like one of those situations where some people take a step back and leave the other people standing forward. And me and a, a few other people uh, ended up on the committee. And for some reason, I guess, because I'm, I'm, I've got the biggest gob amongst them or something. I, I ended up being the chairman of the committee and then spent about a year on that trying to do leaflets and trying to organize stuff and trying to talk about it and nothing was happening. And, and I realized I had kind of an epiphany where I realized that the reason nothing was happening is because we weren't actually doing anything. Uh, you know, it's, it's all right to just sort of like put out leaflets or have a night in a pub to talk about the union or something. But I realized that you just need to go to people one at a time and talk to them about the union and get them to join. And so that's what I decided to do. And because I was working in the comp department at MPC, that's where I started. And um, I literally went around to uh, everybody in the department and talked to them about the union. And the interesting thing is that everybody you talk to about the union always agrees it's a good idea in the first, like, 30 seconds of your conversation. And then you spend the next five, six, 10, 12 
consecutive meetings with them, trying to talk them into signing up, you know, and they always do sign up because they told you they thought it was a good idea at the beginning. But they it takes a lot of a lot of sort of just listening and, and talking and I'm not strong arming or kind of like, you know, sort of like being tough about it or anything. You just got to kind of keep reminding people. You get this sort of thing. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to sign up. But what was that website again? OK, yeah, uh, give me the website address. And then you, I'd go see him the next day and they say, oh, God, yeah, no, I forgot. I, did, I didn't. Uh, do, I'll do it this weekend. I swear I'll do it this weekend. And then you see them Monday morning. And they say. Oh no! Sorry, mate. I was out all weekend. I didn't. Know. I was, uh, and and you know and and you. I realized that I kept getting these. You know, it, it was really really hard to get people to sign up, for the most part. And I realized that, like, I came into this. My number one issue, I thought, was unpaid overtime and exploitative, you know, practices of making people work seventy, eighty, a hundred hours a week. And not paying overtime. But what I realized, talking one-on-one with hundreds of people, uh, that the real problem in our industry is is fear. We're we, I'm afraid. Every time I every time I talk about the union at a, in a workplace, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit nervous. And and I'm as brash and bold as they come so if i'm feeling that then what are other people feeling and so every time somebody said gave me an excuse like oh i forgot to do it or oh but what if all the work goes to canada or oh what if this happens or i'm not so sure that i can afford it or whatever i started hearing i'm afraid that i'll lose my job (laughs) that's what i kept hearing they'd say all this other stuff and i kept hearing i'm afraid i'll lose my job and that's, mm-hmm. I realized that's our number one issue as because we're all on these really short term contracts and we're all, you know, feeling very exposed and, and vulnerable because we've all got bills to pay. We, you know, we've got mortgages and some people have kids and, you know, we got everybody's got bills. Everybody needs to make a living, especially in London, where the cost of living is so high. Um, that every time everybody's either, you know, just prevaricated on the union thing or just seen, you know, just kept coming up with one excuse after the other, I realized, yeah, they're afraid, just like me, just like everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's what I'd like to fix. I'd like to get rid of, you know... Uh, get, get an environment where people don't feel afraid. And I think the only way we can have that is if we band together as a, as a union, uh, we can, we can have strength in numbers. And it's not about, as I said earlier, it's not about barging in and demanding things and wrecking the place. It's just about having security and confidence in your, you know, we, we work in an incredibly high pressure industry and there's some incredible talent you know creative people mm-hmm. and we're we're just not we're just not naturally that aggressive when we're sticking up for ourselves 
Well, and it's the, old, it's the old thing. Artists oftentimes aren't very good business people. And, exactly. you know, I don't have a lot of experience in that area. And it's very challenging. And, you know, the funny thing is when you were just talking there, I was thinking, you know, it is funny that the, the, the places that are, you know, four of the top producing visual effects areas, London, Vancouver, Los Angeles, San Francisco, aren't exactly cheap to live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like driving around Santa Monica and seeing all the game companies and you're like, wait a minute, I thought all the game companies were in, you know, offshore somewhere and you know but no there's these giant buildings full of people producing video games because they can attract the talent and they've got experience and you know that's the thing about our industry that just i think that part of these problems exist is because a lot of us started in this industry when it didn't exist you know and came up through the ranks and we were willing to work 100 hours a week because we were 20 and we did and now we're still doing it and we're not 20 we're our own worst enemies and we that macho people say Oh, can you do this impossible thing at the last minute? We say, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah. We've always done that in visual effects. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had people say, you know, signing on for a film is like joining the army. You know, you're, you're committed. It's 100%. No vacations, no time off, no nothing. You know, that's kind of the attitude of some people in this business. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's a business still. And, you know. You know, if, if, if the industry is going to succeed and going to grow, and, and this is important for countries because, you know, Remember, London and the British people are a player in all of this, in a way. It's not in the interests of London to have an interest, uh, 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 an industry that's here just to cannibalize a workforce and chuck them out when they're when they're 40. In this country, we want people who, who pick up skills to be able to use those skills throughout their career and not to get to a point where once they get over 40, 45, where the hours are just too much. I've had members saying, we quit the industry for a few years. It was hell working there. We just decided we couldn't couldn't work in the industry anymore. And that's that's outrageous. You know, when, when people are, are, are having to leave and, and not putting the skills that they've invested in, and to, to some extent that the state has invested in as well, uh, not to put those skills at our disposal because they've been bullied into working ridiculous hours, and hours that aren't sustainable for people with families, um, then that's all wrong. Right. And that whole life-work balance is so important. And, you know, the number of times that, you know, you sit there for the 15th hour and you're trying to sort something out and, you know, you solve it the next morning driving in or riding in on the way in, you know, because your your brain's freed up and you're like, okay, I've I've solved the problem before I even got back to work. But, you know, you need that space. You need that time. And most of us have other endeavors we'd like to pursue, whether it be family or, you know, other passions as well. And, you know, it's that balance that's so important. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I guess I want to ask you what you've learned most. What's the best, best thing you've, biggest thing you've learned about how to organize? Uh, I, I, I think it would be personal contact with people probably, but I mean, yeah. I know I went through a similar thing here in Los Angeles. The, uh, IA was very aggressive about putting together bar meetings and stuff for a while around the Life of Pi stuff. And, you know, what I found here was it ended up being the same people over and over again. And, you know, it was dwindling as they started doing them and things. But it seems like you've had the opposite experience kind of growing. You've had bigger bigger and bigger lunches over the time and more people showing up and wanting to talk about these things. Yeah, well, it, the, the whole experience has is, is been um, what going back to that epiphany that I that I mentioned earlier, uh, the reason that nothing was happening is because nobody was talking to each other. And the reason nobody was talking to each other is that even members 
uh, even individuals who had taken it upon themselves to join the union didn't know anybody else in the union or engage with them. It, it was like it was like the visual effects union was like a secret society that was so secret that that even the members didn't know who the other members were. Hmm. And and I thought, you know, what we need to do, we need to just have a safe place to just get together and shoot the breeze and and have a sandwich. So every Thursday at one o'clock we get together in Soho and uh and and uh people show up, different people all the time, and and it became this this uh sort of focal point for for the people from the different facilities to come together and just talk about things that were happening and uh and 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 that that was one of the key things that i learned is just just get people together and get them talking we're very good at being isolated and and sit in a dark room and stare at a screen all day we're we're excellent at that and uh and getting everybody together and talking about maybe some of the issues surrounding visual effects work is is a little bit more difficult and you got to just make a, a a venue and a safe place for them to do that and that's that's what we did with the thursday lunches i mean there, there were a couple of things i'd add to that there's the the choice of the venues was very important and it was somewhere that people could bring their own sandwiches and it was a place that had lots of sandwich bars around it so people could choose what they have till for lunch they buy their lunch and they come and sit in this common place the moment you put it somewhere where people have to come in and buy something then it becomes a reason not to. There have to be no reasons not to do it. Yeah. I think a second thing I'd say is, and this is almost a plea to people working in VFX, please lose your faith in social media. <laughs> Facebook isn't going to liberate you. You know, getting getting people together on Facebook and sharing a meme that says how how angry you are, how sad face you are about having to work long hours, it's not going to help you. It's you know, it's something that. Um, it, it's, it's great for getting people to to, to uh, pull a grievance, but that's it. You have to get together and you have to do things. You have to do things together. And there seems to be, I think, behind people who whose job is to sit at computers for a living, I think there often is the idea that social media is is a panacea. And it isn't. You know, social media, if you're not paying for it, you're part of the service that's been sold to the people who are. And it's not there to to improve your employment rights, and it won't. You have to get together, and you have to talk to each other. Yes, very good point. And in fact, it can work against you if, in, you know, in some ways, I've, you know, oh, definitely. Know. And and you know, as far as London is concerned, it it really is it really is taking off. When you know, a year ago, we were maybe you know, very very low percentage of actual members lots of people who sympathized with the union but very very few people had joined the union we were at, uh of the entire london workforce which is probably maybe two and a half thousand people or something we were at three or four percent now we're at well over 20 percent and growing hmm. every month it's going up and uh, you know we're getting close to the point where they they will not have a choice to to whether to recognize us or not, they're going to just have to recognize us because we're going to be in the majority very soon. You know, it, it's an exciting time for visual effects. I think we also ought to talk about the global dimension. That because London does have this capacity to organize, that I think I think it's harder. And I have to say, I, I don't. You know, I, I think I think it's a different job in in uh, on, on the west coast there. Um, 
But I think we want to work a lot more closely with the IA and with other unions, both in Canada, in the United States and in Europe. And, you know, possibly even in Asia as well, about creating a global demand for unionization. And we want to be able to, to get it so that, so that, you know, so that anybody who's coming to us, to, uh, you know, who, anybody who's watching what we're doing in London, we want to be pressing them to be joining the union where they are and vice versa. So, and I think there's, you know, if you think about the mathematics of all of that, that if you know, there's an awful lot of VFX people who work in London in VFX who may be aware of IA, who aren't aware of what's happening in London, it's the most multicultural branch of our union. Uh, we, I went to one VFX meeting, I don't think Joe was at it, but it was about, about 18 months ago, and there weren't two people in the room who were, who, who were born in the same country. Hmm. It's very, very multicultural. Uh, it's, it's, you know, very, very diverse bunch of people, you know, talented people who've come from all over the world. Um, and I think that the idea that just, you know, they're not people who always watch British media, you know, just because they're living in London. It's not like if you want to reach workers in other industries in London, you tend to, you know, if you, if you can get something on the BBC, you're laughing. But, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure that, you know, that I think people have a much more, they live in a much more multipolar world. Yeah. And I think the idea that the, the, the plans that we're putting together with the IA and with other unions um, to um, to start developing some global campaigning for for VFX unions, it means that the companies are less able to to threaten us with with taking the work to Canada or whatever, which, right. by the way, we always find quite entertaining. They tell us we can't have overtime here. And if we if we're going to, you know, if we're going to keep our, our campaign up for overtime, then they'll have to go to uh, Canada where they uh, pay overtime. Yeah. yeah. Although I had a friend so, recently tell me that he was offered a job from London to Canada, to Vancouver, and they were basically, it was, I think he said it was 35% less. And they were like, but don't worry, you'll make it up on overtime. And it's like, wait a minute, that's the, that's the wrong approach. That's like, that's insanity. That's like, wait a minute, you want me to take a pay cut, but I'll get back because I'll work more. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, when when you know when we're regularly seeing the visual effects driven films making a billion dollars at the box office, I think that the facilities just need to get get their shit together and and start charging the studios the amount that they need to charge to pay people the amount that they need to make these films and stop um, these these sort of. I mean, I'll say it right, you know, right out flat out. It's it's unethical business practice. Right. Well, and, and you know, and I don't think is, is not filled with unethical people. Right. But business practices are definitely unethical in well, London. And I don't think I know some people have talked about changing the business model and all that, which is all great, and I'm all for all that. But it's not something you and I can accomplish. No. All we can do mm -hmm. is fight for our own selves and on our own situations and our own rights and you know, work together with other artists to improve our condition. And the companies, you know, I think is the, it, it's, it's a, it, it helps. I know in, 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 when I was mentioning in California, there's some companies that don't follow the California labor law. You know, it puts bidding at a real competitive disadvantage when you have a company that's following the law and paying people properly, and they're bidding against companies that are not. And, you know, any company, any, like you say, these people aren't evil, but if they look at their bottom line, Certainly, the number one expense of any of these companies is labor. It always is. And so they're looking at it. And, and nobody's making, you know, I don't think a lot of artists 
people are pretty well paid in this business and it's an enjoyable business. So it is hard to get people sometimes motivated to take the next step to go to that next level. And in the US, it's completely different than the UK on the EU with the way the unions work. We have to actually send postcards in and and like you say, with the temporary workforce, that becomes a problem, even though it, you can get recognition. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's much more complicated here to do it. Um, but every other part of our business has done it and accomplished it. And they did it for reasons. The onset people formed a union because they were getting just devastated. They were getting abused right and left. And certainly on set, you can see that. And they get paid for every hour and they get paid and they have break time mandated and, you know, because because of the union. So yeah. it's, it's, it's the only way to really solve things, in my opinion. Um, can, know, can a, can a, uh, a, a fully unionized film production make a profit? I don't know. Ask Disney. They just had Zootopia called Zootropolis over here in the UK. That's a fully unionized production Yep. because it's all animators and they're all in the union. Yep. And I, last time I checked, it, was, it, it did pretty well. We want to engage in a constructive way with the employers. The employers, for some reason, seem to see us as being the equivalent of the Red Army. Uh, you know, uh, they, they do seem to be portraying us as people who are going to come and just put our feet up on their desks and say we're running a company now and we're going to make them uncompetitive. Mm. Uh, and I've, I've no idea where they've got that idea from. It's something that, you know, other large parts of the British film industry are unionised. The BBC is unionised. Uh, you know, the big broadcasters in this country are unionised. The special effects department, where they're getting their shots from, is thoroughly unionised. Everybody um, else is unionised, so, basically. It, it comes down yeah. to it. It always does mystify me when people act like this is something that shouldn't exist or, you know, they want to push back on it because to me, it's like the list that you read off earlier there. I was sitting there thinking, yep, nobody would question the musicians union. Nobody would question, you know, any other craft that you mentioned. Everybody has a union, a, a trade association, guild, you know, whatever. They're, they're all represented by somebody looking to do collective bargaining, somebody looking out for their workers. Yeah, one of the things that um, it, perceptually amongst visual effects artists or people who work in, in visual effects is I think a lot of them have a similar kind of negative view of a union, like like we're going to go in and bust up the place and take over and start demanding stuff. Yeah, it's from and, the movies, I think. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, but, but the message the message that I've been trying to share with my colleagues is that um, no matter... Uh, no matter how well-intentioned and and good the management is of any business, and by and large, visual effects has nice people throughout, you know. It's just we're in a kind of an impossible sort of situation. So no matter how nice those people are, every decision that the management makes is going to slightly lean in favor of more profit and and favoring the company in general and you know what it would be irresponsible if they didn't Correct. lean that way as management right right so so even the nicest people in the world are always going to over time continually erode away what the workers what the workforce have as far as benefits or or just um you know, wages or anything, they're all, it's always going to be this almost imperceptible erosion by the nicest and most well-intentioned management in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what 
the message I'm trying to give people is that the union is there to just kind of just kind of nudge it in the other direction a little bit. You know, it's not about smashing the place up and making unreasonable demands. It's just about, well, wait a minute, do you need to do it? Go that far? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because I've worked in visual effects for like over 20 years now in London. And and I've just seen it get a, a little bit a little bit shittier every year, you know? So it's not really perceptible until like 10 years down the line, you go like, wait a minute, we never used to have to do this. You know, so that that's the message that I'm trying to get out to my colleagues. It's really about having pe people being able to bargain back. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just really about evening things up a little bit more so that people can, so that, so that when a man, when a manager demands something, you know, when it's that, it's that we don't, that our members don't, shouldn't, have to take no for an answer right well and, and they of, are expected to take no for an answer yeah it's and, a com you, combination you, of and on the engage on the occasions because since we since we popped up in the last year the companies have found themselves engaging with their staff mm -hmm. they have engaged in order to uh to uh under you know to uh to to challenge the case for a union and we get things where, where, where our members say, so are you going to, uh, are we going to talk about unpaid overtime? And the company just say, no. So can you explain that in, in the UK? I know um, there's a thing that people sign and there's some paper they sign and it waives yes. your ability to get overtime and stuff like that. And people just kind of casually sign that, I guess, or are well, for, more or less forced to? Well, what it is, is that there is there's something it, called the, yeah. the European Working Time Directive. Now, because we're in the European Union, uh, we have common labour laws, uh, and we we have uh, co common labour laws across the EU, and they were designed again to stop uh, countries competing on um, on poor terms and conditions and wages. So we have the European social model, if you like, um, and that, that that's designed to make sure that you know that that there is a maximum working week, and that you know people aren't being exploited in terms of Work, working long hours. Now, there is something called an opt-out that the British government negotiated. The British government tends to be the most sceptical about European Union initiatives. They tend to be the least, well, amongst the least collaborative uh, countries in the EU. And when, wor when working time rules were applied in the 1990s, it was uh, the, the British government was the least enthusiastic um, signatories of that. And one of the things they negotiated was an opt-out for people who uh, were working in the film industry and the, and the entertainment industry. And the argument was that sometimes we need people to work for uh, long long periods, you know, on, on shoots, you know. And we, we I suppose we kind of accept that. We understand, you know, we, we, we watch our workers, our members who are in, in lights and in camera and in, you know, the grips and the camera branch and the sound branch and all those people and they often you know if they're shooting with daylight they do need to work you know five or six twelve hour shifts on 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 the run um so so it's been agreed that there is an opt-out for the entertainment industries but in our view that's abused by companies that don't need it you know when you've got people who are working in an office they're not working to a shooting schedule there's no reason why a company like mpc or frame store or or DNEG or ILM working in London or Cineside working in London 
should be asking people to opt out of the working time directive, they'd be able to cover that work creatively by by just you know using relays of staff. Um, but because they can, they do uh, put it in the contract that you have to opt out, mm. and you have to give three months' notice to opt back in, which mm. you can do. Now, bearing in mind that people are on short term, this gets to the nub of the problem. So many people in VFX are working on short-term contracts. So, assuming they are there for three months, if they were to to opt back in, they'd probably find that they never get hired again. You know, that the name goes around. Well, I mean, speaking as someone who does sign these contracts and, and always does do the opt-out thing... Um, they, the the facilities go to great lengths to reassure you and say you are under no obligation to sign this. They, uh, they, can't, to, to legal, they can't legally force you. Know, you. And, and, and yet I've never met anybody that I work with who believes that opting out would, would um, ensure that they get hired again by that same facility. Hmm. Uh, I always you know, wondered that. So, so everybody... everybody um, but I'm, I'm getting my terminology mixed up. Opt out, opt in. Who, a, a, anybody who waives uh, their thing, uh, their their overtime limitations, anyone is, who is, 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 uh, is uh, seen, uh, you know, someone who's not going to get hired again. Not, and a, so, not a team so player, I don't sure. Anybody does opt out. There, there are some, I'm sure, but but personally. I've never met them, so right. And that's on the number of hours per week. Is the idea you're you're saying that yeah. you know eight hours. Of, Max maxing out at forty eight hours a week. Yeah. So nobody, um, you know, it, it, whether it's true or not, and I'm not saying that it's true, but whether it's true or not, the the overwhelming perception in our industry is that if you don't agree to work unlimited overtime, you will not be hired again. But careful with that terminology because you're saying unlimited overtime. But I think that's one of the bigger problems is that. It's not actually even overtime in most cases. It's well, un unlimited hours. Unlimited <laughs> hours without being unpaid hours, right? Right, which is one of your big issues. And really, you know, I, I don't think we can put it any stronger than this because of these short-term contracts, and because of the amount of people are on them, and the notice periods are very short. There is a culture of of bullying mm. within this industry. It's, I don't believe, in the vast majority of cases, I don't believe that the managers involved are willfully bullying people. I don't believe that they're setting out to do it, but I know that the, their staff concerned feel bullied. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's a really important distinction. It's a perception, isn't it? They feel bullied. They feel that if they say no, that they won't get hired again. They feel that if they say no, that they'll be let go. They feel that, you know, our members do believe that companies in London are talking to each other. And we get this time and time again. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's. I was going to ask you about that because we've obviously had that collusion case here um, with Pixar and, um, you know, ILM and all the big, um, Lucasfilm, I guess it would be, and all the big companies up in San Francisco, especially, talking to each other. And, and we know for a fact that it's just like any other industry. HR people move around, small town, you end up, you know, people move from one facility to another, and you know that people are talking to each other. I don't really, you know, it's hard to prove collusion, but you certainly know that people are talking to each other, and there's blacklists that do exist, and, you know, although I think blacklists sometimes are overrated, I think that people standing up for themselves, you know, I, I like to look at Dave Rand, who's been so vocal about 
issues and, you know, certainly talented guy and has um, over the years done just fine, even though he's been very willing to speak out over the years. Well, I, I do know that um, there is a monthly meeting between the big three uh, facilities and their HR departments and they share information. And, uh, you know, if you ask them about it, they'll say it's to sort of like, uh, you know, keep everybody employed and keep all the, you know, all positive stuff. It's all good stuff. But I also, you know, without naming any names, I also know of a personal friend who who did go in for a, you know, the an interview to get a, uh, to be hired at one of the big facilities. And when the conversation eventually got round to, OK, what is your day rate? And he told him and this sort of junior HR person said, oh, that's not what you were making over at facility X. Yeah. And there's this big pause. And, and he goes, how do you know that? And this junior HR person goes, oh, um, excuse me, and leaves the room very quickly. And then someone else came in a few minutes later, say, oh, the, 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 they were just, uh, th- never mind. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, well, that's someone that I actually know that happened to personally. That's not a friend of a friend of a friend or anything like that. So... These things are happening amongst the facilities, and I don't know if that's illegal, but it sounds dodgy as hell. Yeah, it does. Well, and you know, yeah. I have to say, you know, as, as, the thing that I find interesting about all this is how global these concerns are. I mean, you're facing the same problems that we face here. I mean, California has probably the strictest labor laws anywhere. You know, everything here is you get paid for eight hours, double uh, time and a half after eight, double time after 12, and yet I routinely hear from artists who are booked for day rates, which is absolutely illegal, who are hired as independent contractors as opposed to staff, even though they're in the same business doing the same work. Again, not appropriate, not legal. Um, And the reason nothing ever changes and the reason these companies get away with them, including, I'm not talking about small companies, I'm talking large companies, um, without naming names right this second, uh, but you know, that, that pull this off all the time, and it's because the artists don't want to complain because they don't want to rock the boat. There's that team player attitude. There's the fear of being blacklisted. There's uh, a bit of machoism in our industry. Um, you know, working, you know, working, you know, the 100-hour week, um, you know, is, oh, well, it's part of the delivery of the show, and you hear stories about people at places around the world sleeping in sleeping bags under their desks, you know, to, to finish the shows at the end, and and like you say, it's it's a management issue. It's a problem. It's it's um, you know, there's no reason for it in this environment. Yeah. Well, we work in a a really high pressure industry that's deadline driven, project based, and it's we've come to a stage where the the clients are always shifting the goals, you know, and and you know the sands are shifting under their feet all the time. Everybody's just trying to make stuff work and there aren't there aren't really in my experience any any you know evil people who just want to screw people over it's just that everybody has allowed the industry to become this unworkable mess that that you're always going to end up sort of compromising people's work-life balance and everything because it's just there's this culture of never saying no to the client about anything even no matter how ridiculous it gets you know right and 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 so in my experience, it's just it's just good people trying to work in an unworkable situation. Uh, so management is not, yeah, is not 
necessarily trying to do anything to screw people over. And in my experience, I don't I don't really know that blacklists exist or anything. But maybe I'll find out if NBC is after after my union activity there and my contract ending. Um, if they hire me back, then blacklists don't exist. I guess. There you go. <laughs> well, it's 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 you know to me the um, people have to stand up for themselves. It's the only way to to do it. And I know you know certainly I've I've worked at places that have had unrealistic practices um, over the years. It's happened. Um, you know, and I've also known companies in the U.S. who've gotten busted. You know, many a couple of big companies here in town. I mean, I had a friend who bought a brand new car with a cash settlement from a company that was paying, not paying proper overtime and stuff like that many years ago. So I mean, it's, that was a nice car too. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's a very, um, it's it's something that can be fixed very easily in the United States by people just complaining to the right people. Um, but people get nervous about being the person who complains to the right people. So. It's hard, but that's why you know that's why I've always said the cover of a of a, a an organized labor um, union. I've talked you know obviously worked closely with Steve Kaplan here in the United States, and you know we um, you know it, it's it's that um, you, you you don't have to be the voice standing up by yourself, um, you know not signing the opt out for example, um, things like that. You can work that out with the help of the union. That's the whole point of it of a trade association is to have a common voice and fight for those things. And you don't have to be that lone wolf and be worried about being taken, you know, taken down. It's 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 covered by your brethren all in one, or, you know, your brothers and sisters all in one organization, helping to fight for those common issues, and especially the issue of not getting paid for every hour worked. I mean, to me, even forgetting overtime, which is ludicrous, but you know, not getting paid for hours worked is just insane to me. That's just you know, especially on the backs of films that are just making box office history yeah yeah and profits right yeah record profits every studio every year yeah well here's the thing i, th I think it'd probably be worth us talking for a bit about what trade union recognition is that would be great in this country because i think uh, a lot of and certainly your any listeners you have in the states will have a very different understanding of what a union is to what we what we have in the uk and and i I, I speak with uh, Steve Kaplan myself, um, and we have we have a very good relationship with with IATC. The um, their their president is coming over to see us in a couple of weeks' time, and he'll be and Joe will be meeting him at our conference in Eastbourne. Yep, um, along with a few other people from IATC. Um, in this country, anyone can join a union, and a lot of people who work in workplaces that aren't unionised. Are members of trade unions and there is help we can give them in that we you know provide legal help we will provide them with individual support in the workplace we'll support them through grievance hearings and through any disciplinary processes they have or or redundancies and things like that um we'll we'll, we'll help them in that way as an entertainment union we also provide various insurances and you know it's good business for freelancers to be members of the union because they, they the insurances uh, that they get but the big difference between here and the united states as far as i can see it, is generally there's not that strong an argument for being in a union in the united states if you're not in a workplace that's unionized right. that has a deal right whereas in this country an awful you know a large percentage in fact most of our members 
are working in workplaces that don't have a, a, a trade union recognition deal. Uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of ways that we flex our muscles and use, uh, you know, we, we either we tend to we have a number of carrots, a number of sticks that we, we, we apply to encourage employers to to behave a little better. But wherever we can, we like to go for something called trade union recognition. And that's a legal status. It means that the company conducts its um, its negotiations around a defined set of issues, depending on the recognition agreement, uh, with uh, with the union that's been nominated by its staff. And without going into it in too too much complicated detail, broadly, if half the members of staff want a particular union to be recognised to negotiate uh, everything from their pay through to their terms and conditions, uh, through to being consulted on changes in the business, and it can be any one of those combination of things. We don't have to be there for paying conditions. We can just be a negotiation deal. Um, if the if the majority of workers want Beck to or any other union to be recognised by the company for, for, for that purpose, then the company has to recognise us. And that means they have to negotiate with us in a meaningful way. And it means that we've got a degree of muscle. Uh Again, the muscle depends on the attitudes of people working in the industry. Um, I have to say, I, I think in you know, no, no matter how ambitious we were to get, I couldn't imagine us ever being involved in I don't know, strike action within the VFX sector. I don't think our members would would be interested in it. I don't think it's it's a weapon they'd want to use. But they do want employers to some they do sometimes want to not have to take no for an answer and they want employers to negotiate with them and they want structures to be put in place that mean that employers have to deal with us have to come to us and talk to us about things before before they're agreed they can't just announce them um and as such we would like to have trade union recognition in all of the vfx companies uh, and let's say, uh, if if I can put this mildly, they're not in com the companies are not in complete agreement with us about that. <laughs> in fact, whatever the opposite of complete agreement <laughs> is, that's that, yeah. that, that, that that's where we are. Mm. Um, and as such, we've gone for we've put in two formal recognition bids, or we've started two recognition bids with Framestore with MPC. In both cases, we wanted to do it for limited departments, for just for, for we went for uh, wherever our members come to us and say we want you to do it. So the animators in Framestore asked us to do it, and the the compositors in MPC asked us to do it. Um, in both cases, we went to the companies. The companies are refusing to accept that we uh, go for we we're recognised in one department. They're effectively saying go for the whole company or not at all. Mm. And legally, it could go either way. Mm. Um, but having said that, we're growing at such a rate now that I think us being able to go for the whole companies, uh, you know, rather than, you know, we, we might we might give the companies what they've asked for. Mm. And, and you know, if we can put on enough members and our membership is growing, if we can put on, on enough members, we can go for whole companies and see if we can get trade union recognition. I have to say, we we will be open to limited. We'll be open to doing voluntary trade union recognition 
in a limited form uh, with the companies. Um, because, like I say, I don't think I don't think our members particularly want us to be negotiating individual pay. I think they want us to be making sure that overtime gets paid. I think they want us to make sure that you know that the culture of the culture that leads to bullying is is challenged a little bit, and that you know things like that. There are one or two things like the short term contract, the short term notice periods. Sometimes people are only told a week or so before they're leaving that they're leaving. Sometimes they're told less than that and they're given a payoff. They're given a week's payoff, you know. So, um, hmm. so we want we, we we want to we want there's a lot of little things that we want them to yeah you know, we want them to have better sick pay. Um, again, sickness benefits work very differently in the United States to here. Here we have a national health service, so you know people don't need the private health insurance that a lot of employers give in the United States. Um, but still. If you work at the BBC, if you're off sick, you get you're off sick on full pay for a reasonable amount of time. If you work at MPC, I think they 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 made almost a comical announcement a couple of weeks ago where they announced this you know very very generous thing where they were going to give you I think it was half a day sick pay, paid sickness for every month you've been there. Was that right, Joe? I don't remember the details. But I don't it was it, it it's on the but if you look at the VFX Union uh, the VFXforum.org site the details are on there but it was pathetic you know if you work at the bbc and you're off sick you get paid full pay at mpc you have to be there for years before you can get a reasonable amount of you know you can you before you can catch it catch flu and have a week off paid uh flu and they, and they made it they did this with a big flourish and it was by the way it was intended to to uh, show that that they didn't need the union there that the company were prepared to offer offer dog biscuits to their to their employees uh, little treats uh, little bone shaped treats so um it th there's there's quite a lot of issues but broadly that's the situation we have hundreds of members working in vfx in london who are working in companies that aren't unionized um and that means that we can grow in a different way to the way they would grow in the United States. And I think it means that uh, VFX workers all over the world can look at London and see a growing unionization bid. And it's something that, that I think they can, um, they, 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 they can, they can take our lead a little bit on that. And, and we really hope that, uh, that we'll be able to work with IATSE with, uh, sorry, with IA um, to, uh, to, 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 to build the case and the, and the consensus amongst workers that being unionized is is a good thing. Because the one thing I do know about you know, employment law in the United States is is that if if most of the workers in a company want to be unionized, the union's job is a lot easier. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. really what we need to do is we need to get to a situation where we're encouraging people who are working in the United States all to be, 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 to be emboldened to jump together. And to, to to demand the kind of trade union rights that that we're, that we're demanding from from companies in this country. Well, I think that's a good place to end this. I think we've covered a lot, and I think we need to keep up following up on this issue as time goes on. I really hope that uh, things keep continuing in this direction. I know it's frustrating. I've been on through it over here, and it's it, it it's easy to get discouraged. But I think uh, your numbers are rising nicely, and I, it sounds like things are progressing. And hopefully, we can 
see some traction and see how that affects everybody globally. Thanks, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Really good talking to you again. Thank you. We really appreciate both Joe and Paul taking the time to chat with us here at Effects Guide and get us up to speed on labor issues in the UK as well as the move for unionization via BEC2. Once again, if you want to find more information about this, check out the website vfxforum.org. You can find the information as well as details about those weekly lunch meetups in London that I talked about at the start of the podcast. Before we close out, just want to take a moment once again to thank all of you who've become FX Insiders and to everyone who actually provides feedback, talks to us on Twitter or Facebook page, uh, sends us feedback. If you have anything, constructive criticism, kudos, suggestions for articles or podcasts, drop us a line. You can use the contact link that's on the FX Guide page, and that actually gets sent to both Jeff, Mike, and myself. Well, that's it for this podcast. Until next time, thanks for taking time to listen. See ya. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.